Good evening, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter handle at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. For brand new listeners or those who have been following for a while and have yet to do so, be sure to follow and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Megaphone. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we don't have that many updates on Winnipeg hockey, so to speak, but we do have some new circumstances surrounding the upcoming Taylor Hall trade, which appears to be imminent. You'll hear more about that in just a bit, and then we'll also be talking about our 12 Days of Christmas series, which continues with our newest feature, Connor Hellebuck and Nikolai Ehlers. If you haven't heard the other parts of the series, be sure to check out a few earlier episodes to hear about Toby Enstrom, Vili Heinola, and Dustin Bufflin. Before that, though, let's talk a bit about Taylor Hall. Earlier this week, I discussed the fact that Taylor Hall appeared to be on the trade block and the fact that the New Jersey Devils were actively fielding offers, some as recently as the past 24 hours or so. Over the last 72 hours or so, Taylor Hall has been scratched in both of New Jersey's games, including the one against the Colorado Avalanche. At the time, it was believed that Colorado was the most likely suitor for Taylor Hall's services. I'm sure more than a few teams would love a, uh, a prime young wing, especially one as good as Taylor Hall, any day of the week, but not that many teams actually have the assets to pull a trade like that off. For a while, Colorado were believed to be the frontrunners in the Taylor Hall sweepstakes, in part because they have quite a few prospects that they can offer, and because he fits something of a squad need. While the Avs do have a very dangerous top line, their second and third lines are a little, hmm, needing something of an injection of extremely high-end talent. Hall would do a lot for that squad's depth and make them a true Stanley Cup contender, if they weren't already in some respects. As of this morning, however, it seems like Colorado has quite a bit of competition for Taylor Hall services. It's emerged that St. Louis and Arizona remain two of the most competitive trade partners. Reports suggested that three or four other teams were interested in trading for Hall, but who knows how many can actually afford him as well. He's a natural fit on so many teams, whether it's the Habs, Avs, Blues, pretty much anywhere. I mean, he is an elite franchise winger, and everyone would absolutely love to have him on their squad. If Winnipeg could have afforded him beyond one year, I would have loved to have seen him in a Jets uniform. But of course, the Jets don't really have that kind of cap space, and to be honest, Hall's a little on the older side anyways. Um, I think he probably goes against the direction the Jets are looking for. Had the Mark Stone trade happened, we wouldn't really be having this conversation, because Stone would have been locked up and I would have been thrilled for the rest of my life, but we didn't have that happen, so Taylor Hall would have been a really, really great second choice. As I suggested earlier, though, the Jets really aren't in the market for a high-end wing like Taylor Hall. I think there are too many other teams that will, will be willing to pay a lot more than the Jets are, and the Jets just can't really afford to resign him for a long-term contract. Either way, I'm sure Taylor will find a brand new home very soon. It sounds like if he goes to St. Louis, one rumor suggested that Vince Dunn might be involved in the deal, which, ugh, if that's part of the return, I'm not really that impressed. I'm sure the Devils want new defenders, but Dunn is not really somebody I put high on that list as far as I'm concerned. Obviously, with Hall's contract expiring and the fact that he's a winger and wingers are always undervalued in this league, it it is understandable that the return might not be that great, but hopefully New Jersey doesn't get screwed out of this one. I do think that they've extracted a ton of value out of him, but it's a real shame that they didn't actually get that much more out of it. The team around him being so bad is just a testament to how bad New Jersey is and, and how much work there is to be done. I mean, they they spent several years rebuilding. They were basically gifted one of the best wings in the NHL for nothing, really, Adam Larson and some spare parts, but I don't know, man. It just feels like the, the Devils really wasted Hall's prime. That team should be competing for some kind of a playoff spot this season, but instead they're almost last in the NHL and they aren't really showing any signs of improving. 
that Hall is basically gone and they're kind of stuck with P.K. Subban's contract is really not great news if you're if you're GM Shiro. So I don't really know how they're going to work their way out of this. Sure, they just walked into Jack Hughes, but they also picked up Gusev, and he really hasn't been as great as people were hoping for. Hughes has been fine, but he's kind of buried amidst a lot of mixed talent, I would say. That roster needs help, a lot of help, and it would probably only come with some kind of draft compensation that they get for this year's upcoming draft. Um, And they're kind of in contention for another lottery pick, so who knows what's going to happen with that team. If they somehow walk into Lafreniere, I think that's kind of a, a bit of a coup, and I think all of this pain will be worth it, but... Again, you kind of need to win the lotto for that, and they don't really have guaranteed odds. No one does. Well, I guess except for the Oilers, who keep winning it somehow. I don't know how. That's just weird. If Taylor Hall does end up in the Central Division, which at this point seems pretty likely if he doesn't go to Arizona, yeah, I'd be a little bit worried. Hall's a game-breaking player, and he has the ability to dominate the ice no matter where he is. Any team that I'm on the fence about in the Central, which includes Colorado and St. Louis, those teams would look a lot scarier with Hall in tow. His ability to elevate the play of everyone around him really speaks volumes about his true talent level and his skill level. Even though he's had a bit of a down season this year, he could definitely recover with some talented line mates. Considering his trade price probably won't be insane, I mean it'll be expensive but not insane, I do think that it could shift the balance in the Central Division playoff race. I'd really hate for St. Louis to get him, but I also don't know that they really can can manage their whole cap situation and bring him into the fold. Unless they dump some salary somewhere, I don't know where that would look like, but they'd have to dump a, a decent amount. That is, if they want to extend him long term. No guarantee there, but I, I would certainly think about doing that if I could. We're seriously talking about a guy who's a top 20 player at his prime and his peak, so... Yeah, I mean, you think about it. I don't know if I want to do eight years of Taylor Hall, especially with the fact that by the end of his contract he's in his 30s. But, you know, the league loves giving out long-term contracts to guys who are going to decline quickly, and I, I hope that Hall doesn't really decline so quickly... Um, I think the TJ Oshie contract has aged pretty well, generally speaking, but there's no guarantee Hall will have the same aging curve. It's not like Oshie's been all that healthy either. He's missed a lot of games due to some uh, lower and upper body injuries. As far as the Devil's End is concerned, I really don't know what they should expect in the trade package. I guess a first round pick, a prospect, that's usually what everyone says, plus some kind of NHLer, I'm sure. That seems to be like the go-to every time some decent player comes up on the trade market for the deadline on an expiring contract. If he comes with an extension, that would be a bit of a different story. They don't do that many sign-and-trades anymore, especially since 10 years is a lot to commit to. You just don't really give out max-term deals anymore, not like they used to do with Ovechkin and guys like those, but yeah. I could see the price going up if they got like a 7-year, 8-year deal done before he gets traded. All that said, I think that the Mark Stone trade seems like a decent comparable, and Stone's uh, contract did net Eric Brandstrom and I think a goaltending prospect, but I don't remember anything else. I know that there was a a decent-sized trade package, but I think at the time we were all kind of like, ooh, you know, not that great. And this is not anything against Brandstrom. I think that he's a phenomenal defensive prospect, but Stone is just that good of a player that... I don't know, the return to me felt a little underwhelming at the time. Hindsight is 2020 anyway, so I can't really say that the trade is any better than it was then when it happened, because you kind of have to evaluate the trade when it happens, not in hindsight when you know everything that's become of the uh, original inputs. Suffice it to say, though, I think the Vegas Knights are very much enjoying the Mark Stone era, and whoever trades for Taylor Hall is going to get a heck of a player. There, now, there's a chance that he kind of keeps going on his current slump and carries it into his next team, but usually guys who switch squads um, have some kind of a resurgence in their play. Taylor getting out of New Jersey is probably best for both parties. It seems like New Jersey needs to go in a new direction, and frankly, Hall is at the point of his career where he needs to be on a, a cup-contending team of some sort and not languishing while he's still in his prime. 
Speaking of guys in their prime, in just a moment, we're going to take a quick look at Connor Hellebuck and why he's such a gift to Winnipeg. If ever you've thought that goaltending in Winnipeg haven't really been uh, great bedfellows, you're probably right. Historically, the Jets and goalies really don't get along. In fact, Winnipeg has one of the most amusing histories with uh, goaltending that you could possibly imagine. They've had a rotating carousel of guys who just didn't cut it. Most infamously, we've survived the Andre Pavlik era, which was, how shall I put it, rough around the edges. Pavlik was always this dude who was capable of making some incredibly amazing highlight reflex saves, but it never looked like he was actually in any control. He had no real structure to his game, and he just sort of flopped around. Occasionally, he also had a habit of throwing his teammates under the bus, which is <laughs> a little bit funny considering the fact that he led in a lot of goals, but we're gonna let bygones be bygones, I suppose. The next guy I thought that was actually going to be something decent was uh, Michael Hutchinson. And for a while, Hutchinson actually put up really great numbers. I think we all remember the season when Hutchinson and Pavlik both looked like competent NHL goaltenders, one of them even starting caliber, possibly. Ultimately, those subsequent seasons showed that to be nothing more than a hot streak. Um, Hutchinson, I'm not even sure what he's doing at this point. Last I recall, he was in Toronto and things weren't going that well. He seems to be the, uh, the Leafs whipping boy at this point, so I'd imagine that his NHL career is probably winding down. Pavlik's retired and I don't really know what he's doing. Probably uh, waiting in his pools and pools of money. Must be nice making those NHL big bucks, eh? Prior to those two, we've had guys like, um, oh gosh, Montoya, Mason, and then the other Mason, Steve Mason more recently, uh, who followed those two. Just a kind of a rotating carousel of goaltenders who were supposed to be decent, kind of weren't, and um, now we find ourselves in the Connor Hellebuck era. Connor was taken around seven years ago in the 2012 entry draft, where he was selected 130th overall. Hellebuck was, I believe, playing with the Odessa Jackalopes at the time, uh, which is an NAHL development squad. Uh, the Jackalopes, I'm not sure if they're actually still active right now, but... Um, we've always had really good American scouts, to be honest. If that's one strength of Winnipeg's draft scouting, it, it seems to be focused on the U.S. and Scandinavia. We are really good at identifying talent hidden in some of the U.S. major junior and, and development leagues that are not really heavily scouted, generally speaking. Hellebuck came into the NHL as this guy who had a reputation of being a big, big dude with, you know, efficient movement and minimal skating. In his college and early professional debuts, he had absolutely sterling numbers, and uh, it gave Jets fans a lot of hope that finally we'd had our goaltender of the future. While Hellebuck's overall NHL stint hasn't been terrible by any stretch of the imagination, it's also been kind of mediocre. He had a pretty decent first season, but not spectacular. His second season, though, was something of a travesty. He posted like a 907 that year, and it just looked like all of his mechanics had somehow lapsed into really bad habits. His skating, it was a lot less efficient and fluid. His angles were wrong. He looked like he'd picked up some really weird techniques that he wasn't using before. It seemed like he was adjusting from some of the lower levels of NCAA hockey and the uh, NAHL, and as well as the AHL, really, um, but trying to adapt those techniques to the NHL level. And uh, Winnipeg doesn't have great goaltending development historically. It seems like any goalie who's come through here has really struggled to find their form. I don't want to point fingers, but I am a bit suspicious of the goaltending development staff because the Jets just don't have a great reputation with any of their any of their goaltending, really. Goalies who have passed through our system have typically done well elsewhere um, and looked a lot more competent and fluid. Hutchinson's probably the rare exception to that rule, but generally speaking, yeah, Winnipeg and goalies just don't get along. And then Hellebuck had the 2017-2018 season when he became a Vezina finalist. Hellebuck had one of his strongest outings uh, for an entire season. He posted a 924 that year and then a 922 in the playoffs. 
Um, both pretty decent numbers, generally speaking, but that team in front of them was also pretty elite. For my money, that Jets team could have rivaled the Tampa Bay Lightning team of last year. They were that good. And it wasn't like Hellebuck was bad or anything. He was actually pretty above average, I would say, for the most part. Um, during the playoffs, he's had a few issues, but I just feel like the Knights were always one of those teams that seemed to find a way and pounce on your mistakes. Just a death style for the Jets, who can't really handle that kind of pressure. For his part, Hellebuck was very solid over the entire season, and he gave the Jets enough of a chance to win their games, put up pretty decent numbers along the way, everything looked alright. And then last year happened and it kind of looked like Hellebuck was starting to slip again. Um, he picked up some additional bad habits, his mechanics again were no longer efficient, he really wasn't having the right glove reads, his timing was off. Ugh, just not great, I don't know. It's it's Goaltending is voodoo, that's what everyone says, but... You can still point out some things in, the, in mechanics and techniques that just don't look right. And Hellebuck very much did not look right at all. Something was clearly up with him, and he seemed kind of agitated in his interviews. He's always been a little bit standoffish whenever he addresses the media, especially after a bad game. Um, he's very confident in his own abilities, but I think he's a lot like Patrick Laine. Both of them are actually keenly aware of where their strengths and weaknesses lie, and they don't like talking about them. Hellebuck more so than Laine in many respects. Not sure if last season was something of a kick in the bum for Hellebuck, but this year he's been absolutely fantastic. He's been the sole reason, really, that Winnipeg is in the position that it is. Night after night, we're seeing the best hockey of Hellebuck's young career, and I'm really impressed that he's managed to recover so well and refine his techniques and mechanics to become a true top-tier NHL goaltender. Usually at this time of year, there are a lot of uh, Vezina top candidates that are around, but in this case, there's really no one close to Hellebuck. He is doing a lot to mask and mitigate most of Winnipeg's defensive issues, and we are talking about a lot of defensive issues. That Connor has remained as good as he is, despite the intense pressures in his own defensive end that have happened, I, I'm just so surprised and impressed. It's really a testament to his dedication to improvement and hard work that he's, he's done so well for this team. As bad as the Jets are, if he keeps this up uh, throughout the, race, the rest of the season and maybe even into the playoffs, if not beyond, Winnipeg might have a shot. I mean... You just need to have the right goaltending at the right time to win the cup. It's never really about the best teams anymore. It's just seemingly getting the right bounces and a really, really hot goalie at the right time. In some ways, that statement is a little bit disingenuous, and I'm very well aware of it. But I'm also being kind of serious. I mean, the Jets have a shot. I mean, they have the right... They have great goal scoring, that's for sure. They have a lot of shooting talent that they can rely on. But if Hellebuck continues his upward trend and has strong backup from a guy like Laurent Brassois... Yeah, I mean, the Jets have a decent shot at doing some damage in the postseason. It's not a great chance, and I wouldn't rely on it, but it is a chance. If, though, they could relieve some of the workload and get the pressure off of Connor, I'd really like to see the Jets do that, because right now, Hellebuck's a little overworked. The Jets are kind of putting up, like, Anaheim in front of John Gibson numbers, and that's not a place that you want to be. All that said, this continued development is good for the Jets, um, especially going forward once the team starts to improve and gets defensive reinforcements. Winnipeg signed him to a big money deal with a, a decent amount of term, and so I was kind of concerned about that, especially over the past few seasons where there were signs that maybe Hellebuck wasn't elite. Happy to say that once again he's proven me wrong, and he continues to prove his doubters wrong, and I'm very happy to see that because the Jets absolutely need a number one starting netminder. We may have another one in Mikhail Berdin, but until that time comes, it's going to be Hellebuck season, man. Speaking of players having seasons, we can't go on too much longer without talking about the greatest Christmas present Denmark has ever given me, Nikolai Ehlers. Before Patrick Laine, before Kyle Connor, before any of those guys, there was one name that Jets fans universally knew, and that was Nikolai Ehlers. The young Halifax wing was something of an enigma for the Jets. 
He's Danish, which you don't really see that many Danish NHL players, generally speaking. He's got a sick hairstyle. He's got a ton of points in the uh, in the QMJHL. He's got unbelievable hands, great skating, just this fascinating package of attributes that made Ehlers one of the most exciting prospects the NHL has ever seen. I am slightly kidding about, uh, historically speaking, the NHL has ever seen, but also everyone wanted Nikolai Ehlers. And at the time, when Vancouver passed over him, in swooped the Jets. Vancouver taking Vertanen at 6th overall and leaving Ehlers for the Jets was a totally game-changing decision. I don't really know where this team would be without Ehlers, and it's clear that Vertanen's career trajectory has been something of a sputtering start, so to speak. Ehlers, on the other hand, just like his edge work, has always been flying. Flying past his opponents, flying through his leagues, flying against his competition, just soaring to new heights. The QMGHL, the league that he first started in outside of uh, the Swiss leagues, um, it's easy to put up a lot of points in those leagues because the quality of competition is a little bit weaker than the OHL and, and uh, the WHL. You know, the QMJHL is a much more open game, a lot more offense, and yet Ehlers really impressed by putting up back-to-back 100-plus point seasons. This dude was flippin' dynamite absolute dynamite, and it really showcased that he had so much offensive potential, married to nearly breathless edge work and an incredible offensive instinct that very few prospects showcased. He was most certainly one of the most exciting prospects to come out of that class, and so many people were very happy to see the Jets take him. When you take a look at the names that were drafted ahead of Ehlers, it includes guys like Dow Cole, Vertanen, Hayden Fleury, Willie Nylander, Leon Dreisaitl, Sam Reinhart, Aaron Eckblad, and several years later, only two of those names actually belong in the same conversation. Uh, sorry, three names, if you include Reinhardt. Ehlers, though, has easily been better than anyone else on that top ten list, really. He's in the company of Nylander and Dreisaitl, um, most certainly on par, if not better in some respects, than those guys. I think what makes Ehlers such a unique prospect in a lot of ways is because of just how fast and how great he is at zone transitions. If you just feed this kid the puck, he takes it all himself and does everything on his own. You want a zone entry specialist? That's Nick Ehlers. You want somebody with a great wrist shot? That's Nick Ehlers. You want somebody who can help you uh, move the puck around and cycle it during the power play? Nick Flippin' Ehlers. I'm not really sure that the guy has a single weakness in his game overall. I mean, of course there are always things that you can improve upon, but Ehlers is so good. I think the funniest thing with him is that he's had periods of his career where he's been really snake-bitten and, and just had really poor shooting percentages that were holding him back. The best part about that is that he's still posting at least 21 goals since 2016. He had a couple of seasons of hitting 60 or more points. Um, last year he had a bit of a down season, but this year he's been back back with a roaring start, man. 24 points, 32 games, that's a fantastic scoring record for the young Danish forward. He looks like he's having fun again, and he's helping to drive play for a team that really doesn't have anyone with a skill set outside of himself. What makes Ehlers so attractive, aside from his beauteous mug, um, is absolutely his contract, which is a steal, man. An absolute steal. I think he's got like five, four or five years left at six million per. I mean, that's that's nothing for what he does for this team. Ehlers is one of the best parts of this offense, and he drives so much of what we do in all situations. I can't even imagine what this team would do without him because the Jets just don't, they don't really have anyone who can replace him. He's a bit like Jakob Vrana, who was actually taken in the same draft, in that they do so much from so many different angles in the offensive zone, whether it's puck distribution, one-on-one uh, -on -one attacking, goal scoring. They have an extremely diverse tool set that they can deploy at any time, and they can do it from a virtual standstill, really. Those guys are at their best, though, when they're in full flight and essentially beating down the opposing defensemen with, you know, nary a sweat broken. I mean, they make it look so easy to do it. 
Ehlers being only 23 is just great for the Jets. I mean, they have a world-class forward who's young, he's skilled, he drives play like you would not believe, he facilitates zone entries. He's just like the complete package. I know that Nick has kind of been overshadowed over the past couple of years because of the guys like Kyle Connor and Patrick Lane, but Ehlers is the one who's stirring the sauce, man. In a lot of respects, he's kind of the glue that keeps this offense clicking because of how many different looks he can give you. And for that, I must say I'm very thankful. He's an awesome player, and I hope we get to watch him for the rest of his career in a Jets uniform. Before we close out tonight, though, I did want to have one small discussion, something that uh, unfortunately struck me a bit personally because uh, I have had, you know, personal experiences with this before. Not not me, but those in my family. Um, Oscar Lindblom from the Philadelphia Flyers was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. It's a, a very rare bone cancer, and of course Lindblom is going to be sidelined for the rest of the season uh, pending his treatments. All I wanted to say was that we're all rooting for you, Oscar, and we hope that you have a quick recovery. We believe in you, and we're praying for you, man. And with that, thank you so much for listening. Go Jets go. Screw cancer.